This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. All right, welcome to a special edition of Innovator Stories. I'm John Greathouse. I'm here at UC Santa Barbara, and we're here with Laura McCormick. She's principal at McCormick PR. Laura's consultancy specializes in brand building through high-impact media and analyst relations. And what I want to make clear is she's building brands through corporate communications and public relations. She's not building brands through other marketing mechanisms that we'll talk about. So when we think about brand building, we often think about certain ads or iconic things that Steve Jobs has done. Laura works with people that are doing that, and she works in concert with them. And we'll explain how she does that. She honed her skills at top-rated PR agencies as a young person, including Burson Marsteller, where she supervised Fortune 500 companies, and DeVries, where she was a senior vice president, and she led the creation of global consumer brands. She's also worked in-house, so she has her own firm now. She worked at some of the most prestigious firms in Los Angeles, excuse me, in New York, and she's also worked inside of companies, so she's really gotten to see the, the industry from several um, areas. She ran global PR at Kinko's, which is now known as FedEx Office. When she left, they had over 900 stores uh, in nine different countries, and she was also the VP of Communications at Citrix Online, and she helped build that brand, one of which was GoToMeeting, among others, into a, a product that resulted in hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue and millions of customers, and it ultimately ended in a successful acquisition of that company by Citrix. She's now self-employed. I like to call her an entrepreneur. That's not a title she, she wants uh, put on her, but I'll, I'll whisper it. She's an entrepreneur. But she's self-employed with her own agency, and what's great about this point in her life is she can, she can pick the deals, she can pick the company she wants to work with and she can add value with, and she can refer clients to other people that she thinks might be a better fit for her. So it's a wonderful place for her to be in her life. She represents brands from all over the world, and she came all the way from the East Coast to, to share her insights with us in our classroom. Let's give her a warm welcome. Thank you, Laura. Gotcha. So good to see you again. Nice to see you too. Yeah. So I want to start with uh, just that distinction that I alluded to in the, inter in the introduction, mm -hmm. which is the distinction between corporate communications and marketing. They're yes. under the same umbrella, and oftentimes maybe one person will, will supervise both endeavors. But what is your, how, do, how do you describe that distinction? And if you want to share a little bit about how you would work with marketing teams. Yes. All right. Good. That's a good question, a, a good way to start. The corporate communications discipline um, typically uh, includes several communications uh, uh, d departments. One would be public relations. In some companies, there's analyst relations. Uh, in some companies, there's customer communications uh, and internal communications. That's communications within a company. Those disciplines typically fall under corporate communications. Uh, in some companies, the head of corporate communications will uh, report right into a CEO. Mm -hmm. In some cases, they report into marketing. A lot of the, uh, the work in corporate communications will have to take public relations as a, a very important component of corporate communications. That's typically all about building reputation uh, and awareness and demand through earned channels. Mm -hmm. We've talked a little bit about earned channels in here. Great. Okay. Terrific. Uh, not exclusively, but yeah, that, that's terrific. And then the, market, the marketing umbrella, um, as you say, John, consists of advertising, uh, you know, lead generation, uh, th those disciplines that are designed to drive sales. 
uh, a little less about maybe reputation because reputation, you know, really is earned through credible third-party means. Right, right. And typically, uh, companies pay for advertising and lead generation channels. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you compare that to the public relations uh, aspect, that's usually that's earned. So you, you don't pay for a story uh, in the New York Times or in, in any publication. Um, you earn it through... Right. Uh, the uh, your pitch through the product, why it's important and newsworthy, and that's that's a good that's a good overview. We've talked about social norming in here, and we've talked about the power of credibility. Yeah. People are going to obviously be more influenced by a messenger that they think is credible than on somebody that's paid spokesman. Even though we still see ads that say paid spokesman right under them, and yes, they seem to work at some level. But you began your career, um, I believe it was at Burson Marsteller. Is that correct? Well, actually, that was the beginning of my career in public relations. Well, uh, well what yes. I was going to sorry, the reason. I yeah. I, I was asking about them is I'm wondering as a college student um, or as a young person, what, what drove you to want to get into mm. the PR industry? That's a great question um, because it wasn't a direct path. It was a bit indirect. I first started out in the fashion business. That was my passion. Uh, and um, so I was working for a company in New York and uh, loving it. Uh, and I was asked to travel to Toronto to help the Toronto, the Canadian operation, uh, fill in for their promotion manager who left, left abruptly mm -hmm. and her assistant left. So uh, I was in my mid-20s at that point and um, said, great, I'll go up and help out. I was just there you know, during the week and I was flown back to New York. I really loved what I was doing. Uh, I hadn't done promotion or PR at that, up that yeah, point. Yeah, what were you doing initially with the fashion company? In the fashion company, I was doing merchandising okay. for the most part. Uh, and that merchandising was determining what designs and what styles would be sold in uh, to department stores. And so that was mm -hmm. basically uh, the merchandising aspect. But I really knew the company. And um, so based on that, I was asked to help out. What I found is I, I really enjoyed working with the media, yeah. uh, and I, I was effective with it. You were. So, well, that, <laughs> I know that firsthand. Led me, that led me to, I made a decision at that point. I decided that I would pursue a career in public relations. Mm. Got it. So that's when I joined Burson Marsteller, and I actually joined Burson Marsteller in Toronto. Mm, okay. Because I actually lived in Toronto for a few years. Oh, the company asked me to stay, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I did for a few years. But then I transitioned to uh, Burson Marsteller, where I wanted to learn the, the tools of the trade from right. the best in the business. I mean, it was the epicenter of corporate communications, right, at that point? And it, oh, it, yes. And Burson was a, a huge company, and it still is. You know, it's a global communications yeah. company. and. And after beginning with them in Toronto, then I moved back to New York with them, and I worked for them in the New York office. A great proving ground. I, I just want to touch upon one thing you said. It's, an, it's advice I often give my students is be a yes. So when an opportunity, especially early in your career, yes. when you have an opportunity put forth, lean in with a yes, you can still be thoughtful, but all too often we talk ourselves out of doing things that yes. involve a little bit of risk or a little bit of hassle, where in retrospect, Come on, when you have a mortgage and kids mm. and I have, you know, just all these other things that you need to consider, yes. it's much harder to be a yes. So be a yes when you're young, please. Completely. My advice to you. So if you were advising one of these people that should be a yes, um, you, you know, as I mentioned in your introduction, you've been in-house with great companies. You've been with the, some of the most prestigious uh, PR firms working with some of the biggest brands. Would you guide a student to, to go to a large agency initially, a smaller boutique mm -hmm. agency, or would you say go in-house somewhere? It's a great question, and I would say there's no, there's no clear-cut answer. 
Uh, what I will say is the traditional path would be to start out in a PR agency and then where you gain the skills across a broad swath of industries uh, and then um, transition to the corporate side if that's what a person wants to do. Mm -hmm. Now, many people just stay with agencies. Uh, so that's the classic path. It's not the path that I necessarily took because I started on the uh, client side in right, a sense right. and then I joined the agency. Uh, but um, say, let's just say, since this is technology focused, um, there are a lot of ways to gain tremendous experience going directly to the client side. Uh, for example, when you look at the large Microsoft, Apple, um, Cisco, you know, enormous companies, their PR departments are enormous. Mm -hmm. So if you had an entry-level position in a company like that, you would have an opportunity to, to learn from you know, some of the top pros in the business. And you'd have a lot of a variety uh, in what you're doing. So that's why I say mm -hmm. it depends. It can go either way. Right. I would say, though, if you go the agency route, uh, mid-size to large is, is the best path, as opposed to a very small agency just mm -hmm. starting out. Right. Because you'll get more experience. Right, right. And they're trying to find their way as an agency. That's right. And one other thing I would add, um, there are a lot of agencies that are specialized, specialized in technology, uh, you know, specialized in entertainment. Uh, if you know that you want to be in a certain industry, then I would say go after an agency that specializes in that industry. Mm -hmm. um, whereas if you're, if you're not sure, then I would look, go to a generalist agency where you might have an opportunity to go across right. industry. Right, and learn what really excites you. Yes. So, so I, I, I completely agree. When I, it does depend, and there's no right answer. Yeah. I, when, when, I, when a student approaches me with certain alternatives, one of my questions generally is, who will you learn the most from? Mm. And that often is the people. Right? It's also the industry, it's also their customers and their market, but it's, where do you feel like you're getting that positive energy? Where, where is that chemistry where someone's going to take the time to teach you? Because not everybody will. Well, yeah. Uh, now, in an agency, uh, for example, at Burson Marsteller, I was in a large agency, and there were many titles. There was a junior account executive, a senior account executive, mm -hmm. an account supervisor, you know, uh, and a senior account manager and a vice president. So you might have had almost 10 people on an account team. Uh, so, you know, you'd start out at the bottom rung, and you would basically be promoted and learn from the different levels. I find that there are fewer titles today. Mm. Uh, it's, it, it's, there's a narrower funnel mm -hmm. in most uh, agencies and account teams. Uh, but yes, you, 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 t t I should say, though, that typically an agency will hire somebody who has had maybe some experience, uh, maybe studied communications in college, mm -hmm. uh, or just had a, you know, a good track record in school, and then yep. you're, you're, you start out at the, at the bottom level, and which is, is fine. It is a nice industry in that regard, where you, it's not like accounting or some of these other ones, where you have oh, to have yeah. a pretty rigid oh, yes. inter introductory uh, degree. Right. There's no degree required no. in And, in, in and UCSB has a great communications program, and, and a number of those students do go into corporate communications. Yes. But I want to go, I want to um, ask you about learning at companies. Mm -hmm. So we talked about you know, that's, an, that's obviously something, a criteria you should look at closely. What about mentors in your past? And I know you're, you're a fantastic mentor to a few people that I worked with and know, and you still keep in touch with some of those folks. How about in your past? Like, did you, what, did you have the benefit of mentors early? And if you did, what yes. was that experience like? You know, when I started out, the idea of a mentor um, wasn't really... Uh, uh, 
the rage that it became <laughs> later on in my career at the middle I agree, I agree. Uh, everybody was talking about having a mentor. So I considered my mentors uh, the people I reported to for the most part. And I was fortunate because I did, for the most part, have people who respected me mm. uh, and um, wanted me to succeed. So I had that benefit. Right. Uh, and I moved around a little bit. Um, and in the agencies, I moved from, from one department to the next, and I was in Toronto, and then I moved to New York. So I had the benefit, too, of different cultural experiences, mm -hmm. in a sense. Right. Uh, so I considered them my mentors, mm -hmm. Good. the people I admired. Yeah, I always encourage students, uh, not students, recent graduates, young people to seek out those people, not with yes. a sign that says, we be my mentor, uh, but, yes. but again, who can I learn from? Where yes. is there a two-way interaction they might can learn from me? Uh, I'm yes. seeing things, parts of the world they're not seeing. That's right. Let's talk a little bit about, again, on the theme of learning. So one of the experiences that at the time was, I'm sure, not ideal, but you learned a tremendous amount from it with some of the tampering crisis that you had to deal mm -hmm. with when you were part of that PR agency. I'd love for you to just give us a little sure. color on the incident itself, but then also how it affected your point of view regarding future, because even at our little company, we had crisis yes. of, of sorts, not, not tampering. That's and right. Then, and then, sorry, lastly, it's a multi-part yes. question. Yes. I think this would be a good chance to touch upon mediums versus message strategy. Sure. So the mediums are new now, are, are different now. Maybe you're going to get your word out on Twitter, you're going to get your word out mm -hmm. on other, another platform. But the strategy behind those, messaging, those messages themselves is probably very similar. Sure. Well, let me start out with crisis. Yeah. Uh, because I uh, was fortunate in a sense that I joined uh, Burson Marsteller <clears throat> when the company had just come out of one of the textbook textbook uh, uh, cases, uh, it's considered a textbook case today in crisis management, and that was the Tylenol incident. I mm -hmm. mentioned contact, mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about them both. Please. Uh, but ty Tylenol uh, had, a, had a crisis, a major crisis in 1982. Seven people died uh, from taking uh, the contact cold med, uh, the Tylenol. And you, you can imagine what a disaster that could be for any company. Yep. Tylenol was the leading uh, medication in its category. Um, so Johnson & Johnson was the company uh, who, you know, had, was behind Tylenol. Uh, they actually find, found out about this through the news media. Oh, wow. Uh, and, you know, so that they had to really uh, move very, very quickly in managing this crisis. Burson Marsteller was one of their agencies. And uh, so the Burson Marsteller account team at that time worked hand in hand with their corporate communications team mm. and marketing team to manage the crisis. And um, I could go on about this, um, but basically what happened is that the, the, the PR teams were very successful in, uh, in managing it, uh, getting information out in a credible way, building trust. Uh, the company was able to communicate a concern for the customers mm -hmm. as opposed to a concern for the bottom line. Right. Yep. And uh, then within a relatively short period of time, Tylenol uh, came back to achieve you know, the same level of market share. And in fact, when that crisis first struck, um, the industry felt, oh, Tylenol Done. will never come back. They'll yep. have to just take it off the, off the market. Yeah. So, Fortunately, now I, I moved to the New York uh, office uh, about a year after that happened, and I was on the contact uh, cold medicine team. And uh, 
something similar happened in mm. a sense that it was a crisis, but not as large as Tylenol. Uh, some stockbroker uh, who, you know, tried to manipulate the price of the stock and uh, was behind, you know, the, the tampering for contact. <sighs> So fortunately, um, Burson Marsteller had the benefit of the Tylenol crisis right. and in basically the same steps. Immediately, you know, get behind it, um, get information out credibly, uh, you know, get a top spokesperson from the company trained, mm -hmm. um, carefully message, uh, you know, what should be said by all the spokespeople involved from a company mm -hmm. and, you know, keep the information flowing. Right. Uh, don't ever say no comment. Um, we don't know. You can say we don't know, but we'll get, we'll get right we'll back out. to you, you yeah. know, as soon as we learn more. Yep. Because sometimes information happens. I mean, these things happen so quickly right. that you can't possibly know everything right away. Yeah. And I think one thing you said um, really resonated with me about the focus on the customer, the yes. consumer, and not the focus on the company. Oh, yes. Oftentimes we see the playbook, the bad playbook of PR is circle the wagons. Yes. Let's just protect the individuals <laughs> at the company. And, and I think there's a balance act. Nobody expects you to throw your company away, but they also want to make sure that your, your heart is in the right place and you are concerned about what's happening with your users. That's right. And um, what I should say, and, and maybe you'd like to talk about this later on, but I'll, I'll, I'll say what happened after Tylenol um, was an awareness uh, you know, of the need for crisis communications preparedness. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. You know, companies now knew they needed to be prepared before a crisis hit. Uh, so today, you know, a big part of what agencies do uh, is prepare their clients for a crisis. Mm -hmm. And you sometimes can never be prepared because not all crises, you know, are in the playbook, right, you know, uh, right. or can be predicted. Right. But most of them can be. Most will fall into a certain category. Uh, so companies need to do risk modeling mm -hmm. and uh, determine where can they be vulnerable. Uh, it's no longer a product uh, or an ad campaign. Now, as we found out from the subway situation uh, and their spokesperson, right. it could be the people, yep. you know, who are hired to represent the, the brand and right. what's behind them, you know, what's in their background. Right. The Me Too movement is, is spawning another whole level of, uh, of crisis uh, preparedness. You know, executives, yep. you know, really are now being uh, coached to go back into their backgrounds and, you know, were there any vulnerabilities? Even in their college yearbook, as, as mm. most of you probably know, right, right. this level of scrutiny yep. now is being spawned by social media. Well, and I think, I think because of that and even before that, we've talked in this classroom about having a core ethical foundation to your business. Yes. So that, because you're right, you can't predict every incident that might happen, but you, but you can right. say if something happens, here's how we're going to react. Customers exactly. always first, you know, or whatever. That's right. We're, stakeholders uh, yes. are, are going to be looked at first before ourselves, whatever those core, core values are. That's right. And I think that, that if that's a big help because when everybody looks around going, what do we do, what do we do? Go back to your core values. They'll, yes. they'll, they'll tell you yes. what you should do. And the other thing that's important, you know, once, you, once, a, once a company, once a department creates a crisis preparedness plan uh, that discusses the different eventualities and, you know, what might come up and here's how we would respond, uh, the executives need to be trained. So the training should take place right. um, maybe even annually. Um, so that uh, I I there's no scrambling. Right. You know, there's a process, and the key stakeholders in a company know what their role is and what will have to be done to mitigate it, the It's damage. so funny when you see, because I had a little bit of media training, not a lot, just a yeah. touch. Um, and 
the little bit I had, I can see it when people are doing it poorly. <laughs> and the athletes <laughs> yes. crack me up because I yes. see these athletes, and they need it. They need the training, right? But you can just tell that they just got the training because they're doing, like, all the five, <laughs> the five things you're supposed to do. <laughs> yes. Or if somebody's selling a book, and they're not, they're not used to selling a book. And sure. It's just, there's, if you've been through it, you, you kind of see a little bit more. So let's talk about Kinko's. I'm interested mm-hmm. in how you went in-house. What, what, um, what was the state of the business like when you arrived and I, in your intro, I talked about where it was when you left. And what were your goals when you first got there? Okay, that's, that's really great. I love talking about Kinko's. Yeah, that's uh, a great story. Yes, I, I was uh, really, I, I, I was approached um, by a search firm, uh, and I, I was working in New York at DeVries Public Relations, a job I loved mm-hmm. as well. And uh, I was asked uh, to consider, you know, becoming the head of uh, public relations for Kinko's. Um, I was aware of Kinko's. Kinko's had stores in, in the East Coast. It was primarily a West Coast company that moved east. Started in IV. A major force started right here in, in Santa East, Barbara. Yeah. Paul Orfila was one of the great entrepreneurs. And uh, so... I accepted the job. I thought it would be terrific to work in California for a couple of years and to work for um, a force. You know, Kinko's in the early years was a college-based copy shop. Right. But over the years, through a crisis, through a, uh, 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 a lawsuit, uh, an industry lawsuit, they were sued for copyright infringement. Mm. And they repositioned mm. themselves as your branch office. They became a service for the legions of small business owners uh, who needed a place to get their work done, mm-hmm. to get their copies made, to do video conferencing. In any event, uh, Kinko's had about 128 partners who collectively owned the 800-plus stores uh, worldwide. And they were at a point where a number of their partners were looking to take their equity out. Uh, So the company was considering a couple of different avenues for that. Mm -hmm. But they knew that they needed to manage their um, image, their reputation, and, and build it. Because quite frankly, Kinko's was a very private company. Um, the owner uh, and the top, the large partners liked it that way. Mm-hmm. That was part of their strategy. Let's, we want to remain anonymous and quiet. Not anonymous, but quiet, yep. basically. Uh, so I was hired by the head of marketing to turn that around. Mm-hmm. And um, it, was, it was actually one of, it was a wonderful public relations experience because it was a great story. Yep. Uh, Kinko's was so innovative, and the uh, founder, Paul Orfila, uh, was so interesting. Yes. <laughs> Be, uh, gotten, on many levels. I've gotten to know him. Yes. You've got to know him. Yes. He was a great innovator, and, uh, and he... He was a natural spokesperson. He was not. Uh, he was a, just a, a natural yeah, in, in so many ways. Unconventional. Yeah. Uh, that's right. So the media were interested, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Within about a month of being with Kinkos, Forbes magazine at that time there was a physical magazine. Uh, was keen on doing a story on Kinkos, and Kinkos had video conferencing. So we did the interview in a video conferencing room. Um, at the headquarters, mm-hmm. the Forbes reporter uh, went to a, a video conference, uh, I think at one of the Kinko stores in New York, and it was a great, it was a fabulous right. way to Using the show the technology right. and uh, have her meet uh, Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it, it was wonderful in a sense that um, there hadn't been a lot of publicity. Once that Forbes story ran, Mm -hmm. the partners became more comfortable with the idea of uh, 
being out there right. in other media. Right. So from there, uh, then, uh, you know, we pursued stories in other top media. Um, we had 11 pages in Wired magazine at one point. Wow. Uh, you know, and that was when Wired Magazine was mattered. just starting. Back when it mattered. And it's hard for folks now to think about it, but but there was an era, right, where the magazines oh. drove sales? And oh, yes. Print was very important. Yeah. And I'll, I'll address that because print still is important, but it, it's changing. Uh, so that was my experience at Kinko's. Mm -hmm. You know, I uh, I was there to, to help build, you know, reputation for the company right. and awareness of the products and services. Crisis communications loomed large with Kinko's. Uh, Kinko's was open 24 hours, right. seven days a week, and there were a lot of a lot of incidents yeah. uh, in the middle of the night, sure. uh, you know, that had to be managed. Like so that, that was that. an important part of the communications mix. So before I move on from Kinko's, just quickly, yes. I know in here we've talked about how startups, and I would think Kinko's wasn't a startup, but they were still a smaller company. Yeah. Uh, it's very important to understand your ecosystem, partner effectively within your ecosystem. You were involved with cutting deals with Apple and Adobe and obviously FedEx, which led to the acquisition. Can you share any insights on, on how those deals were structured and how, how they helped the company at its, at its relatively nascent stage? Yeah, actually, while I was involved in uh, some of the conversations behind the deals, John, I was mostly involved in promoting the, uh, the partnerships the relationships. and the relationships. Right. Um, so you were trying to gain validation in the marketplace by saying, look, Adobe is our partner, yes. Apple's our partner. I'll give you one example. Mm -hmm. um, WebEx, you know, WebEx, uh, you know, when WebEx approached Kinko's, uh, you know, when I was there yep. in the late 90s uh, about some sort of a, a you know, a, a, a partnership or a, you know, cross-promotional opportunity mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and and so my role and my team's role in that would have been to promote the value proposition of that mm -hmm. through PR channels uh, same thing with uh, Microsoft and Apple you know Kinko's had uh, Kinko's was Xerox's biggest customer at that time mm. so there was a lot of cross-promotion with mm -hmm. Xerox mm -hmm. as well right yes makes sense yeah, because it's one thing to do the partnership, it's another thing to make it work. Like I, right. I was off of, often on the front end of making the partnerships, creating them, but then Brian yes. and you and other yes. people would make them successful. Right. You did the hard but, part. Well, we... <laughs> you did the hard part. So I, I talk a lot about networking, the importance of networking to everyone, but especially younger people. I've told this story before. I, uh, please bear with me. Sure. The story about how we met you. Um, if you could just share... Um, that you were at a networking event and kind of how Andreas saw you. I think it was a red jacket or something. And, and the reason I, I like that story is it, you never know where life's going to take you. Right. Like you could have just not gone to that event. You could have right. just said, you know what, it's raining, screw it, I'm not doing it. And, but you didn't. And you, came, you put yourself out there. And then mm -hmm. more importantly, so part of it's showing up, but part of it is, is understanding your personal pitch, like, you know, who you are, where you're going, and how you're going to get there. And by yes. that time in your career, you obviously had that down. So yes. can you well, just I'll remind me and try share to give with you everyone? Some highlights of that. Um, I had left Kinko's um, after working for them for about five years to join a startup. Now, this is, uh, this is uh, 2000, uh, 2001, uh, when markets are markets are rattling. And uh, I took a big risk in that, mm -hmm. in, in, in wanting to make a move. But I, I was willing to take that risk. What I didn't realize is the startup collapsed before I could join them. So at that point, uh, I was considering moving back to the East Coast. And um, I, 
I was interviewing seriously mm -hmm. um, on both coasts, and uh, a friend of mine said, you know, you really should come to this networking event. Well, I had just come back from uh, actually a New a, a, an interview with the New York Times. Oh, wow. And I was tired, um, but I, I said, sure. And I, that was the you, you event were a yes. where I'm, Andreas was talking at yep. that event. Yep. And um, yes, I had a red jacket on. And I, I mentioned to Brian Donahue at that point, who was at the door checking people in, oh. I just happened to say that I was here to network, um, that I had been at Kinko's and I had also agency experience. So I got, Brian remembered that. Yep. And Andreas is talking about go to my PC. At this point, it was just being right. launched, right. just being in the early stages, pre-launch. Yep. So in any event, uh, Andreas uh, pointed out to me as an example of a person who might need this product, uh, I think, when traveling. So in any event, I said, oh, great, I'll say hello to this person at the end of the presentation. Mm -hmm. But I didn't because he was swarmed with people. And right, I, right. It, was, it was a convoluted series of things. I ended up running into Andreas again at another event, at another networking event. Mm -hmm. But at that point, uh, Andreas found out that I had a background in PR uh, from talking to Brian. And so, he, and also one of the, one of your venture, uh, the capitalists uh, in New York Ed had Sim. my resume. Ed Sim. Probably. Ed Sim had yeah. my resume because I had a cousin who knew him oh and he had sent my resume at the same time yep. to Andreas. The world is small. So they, they, they connected the dots and realized I was that person. Yep. So at that time, I had an offer from a traditional Hollywood company, mm -hmm. big company mm -hmm. with a sterling Stable. reputation. Stable. Yep. Stable and uh, old line. And I was thinking about it. And, uh, and then I had the offer from, uh, from Expert City. And I made the decision to join Expert City because I felt that, um, number one, I knew it would be more entrepreneurial. And after working at Kinko's, which was a very entrepreneurial uh, corporation, um, I would be happier there. Mm. And I felt I'd have more autonomy um, than this staid traditional company where there, I would be re reporting into marketing. Right. Um, so, and I felt there'd be more upside financially if the company was successful. Sure, sure. But it's funny because, um, so oftentimes you'll hear in startups, hire somebody above their weight class. So in other words, it means hire a younger person that is, has the ability to get better. Um, with Laura, it was kind of the opposite. Like we, I always felt like you were above our weight class. Like you were just so talented so far in your career. You would, you have put, you did put Kinkos on the map. I mean, you really did. They weren't a household name before that. Um, and so we were just so lucky that the timing worked for you and worked for us. And you, it's, and you it, did such a fantastic job for us. So I'm just so glad that that little serendipitous series of events <laughs> yes. worked out. So, you, you. so you, you did turn and go to IPC and then later go to meeting, et cetera, in international brands. You and a small team, very small, small team, team. Mm -hmm. were very passionate and tenacious. Mm -hmm. you, you worked the phones. You were selling, basically. You were selling this idea that, that you know, remote work was coming and this tool was better. Mm -hmm. So it, one of the things I remember is you had uh, David Pogue for the New York Times and Walt Mossberg from mm -hmm. the Wall Street Journal. They're fierce to this day. They're fierce competitors, right? They, all, they both want the story first. You got both of them to write about us within, as I remember, a couple of weeks, which is unheard of. Mm. And our servers went down <laughs> because we had so much activity, which was another crisis. Talk a little bit about the mishap at Walt's, in Walt's yes. office. And I think, to me, that anecdote just speaks volumes to the charm and the credibility that you had that even with a mishap, he still wrote a glowing article about it. Well, I would say the charm was all Andreas's. Oh, I think it was a tag <laughs> that, team. Yes. Um, Though he was very charming. Sure. Let me tell you a little bit about 
how it happened that the New York Times uh, wrote the story first. Um, this was um, at around the time when I was now joining the company, and uh, there was a, a great team in place. Uh, so the information about the product and, and trials, you know, had already gone out to uh, David mm-hmm. and uh, to some of the other, uh, you know, leaders in technology. Um, David gave the assurance that he would do a story, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so for whatever reason, uh, you know, that was, that was great. Uh, you know, to get the go-ahead from the New York Times to do a story, uh, you run with it. Especially and at the stage we were at. We were yes. a small company. Yes. Well, that story was phenomenal. I, 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 frankly, in all the years in public relations, <laughs> other than Kinko's and 11 pages in Wired, right. that story in the New York Times was a half-page uh, in the circuits section, which is, doesn't exist anymore, but that was their technology mm-hmm. section. Yep. And David used words like ingenious mm-hmm. to describe go to my PC. Yep. I mean, it was just a dream come true for yep. the company. Yep. So in any event, um, I, you know, of course, I my, and my team, we really needed to get to the Wall Street Journal, too, because Walt Mossberg was considered the, mm-hmm. you know, the guru. But he truly was a person who could change a business. The New York Times, very large circulation, but the Wall Street Journal has a larger circulation, and it's more of a business, business. audience. Yeah. So in a sense, it's, he's, Walt was more powerful. Yes. Uh, and if you had Walt write about a product in his personal technology column, yep. it could make the difference in a business. Uh, so when I spoke to Walt, he said to me, well, I was really surprised that you didn't come to me earlier. He didn't <laughs> say the New York Times. Uh, so that was fine. But, you know, he, he said, please come to uh, meet me in my office in Washington, D.C. Mm. So Andreas and I went out uh, and, and met with him. And, uh, and yes, as you said, you know, at first when uh, we were doing the, the demonstration, it, for whatever reason, it didn't work. <laughs> and uh, Andreas, you know, it, 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 it was fine. He, you know, I, I could tell that Walt liked Andreas, yep, uh, yep. and uh, not, un- not unusual, certainly. Yes. Uh, everybody likes everybody Andreas. Everybody likes Andreas. <laughs> and uh, in any event, the next, tr- the next try was the charm. Yes, uh, it yes. did work. And we could see Walt Mossberg's eyes just light up. He thought, wow, you know, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. It was like the great professor was seeing something that was truly unique and mm-hmm. innovative. It was. That could really change the way people worked. At the time, but he was so difficult to get to. I mean, I think the fact that you yeah. got to the two, probably the two well, most, the two leading tech writers, and, and later, I might have been before, the editor in chief of PC Magazine wrote oh, yes. an incredible yes. review, and that was yes. largely. And and I, I would say I really had a great team. Yeah, I well, had a great team. You're being of modest. Your team was very good. They were very very good. But you yes. guys did. I, I've joked in this class. I've joked in other classes that when people would ask me who does your PR. I would say Laura McCormick, and they would start like looking up the fur, but I'm like, no, 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 she works down the hall. <laughs> and, that's sweet. But that's how yeah. good it was. I mean, that's how good your PR was. They just assumed it had to be a big, a big company. Um, so what do you remember? We talk a bit about guerrilla marketing yes. in this class. Any, any, any scrappy, because I wouldn't let anybody spend any money at the company. Mm. So what were some scraps? <laughs> I remember that. I know, I do too. Not the favorite part of my job. <laughs> yes. Um, what are some things that we did that you recall? Okay. Uh, thank you for asking that question because I think it, it, there are some interesting examples here. We really had to be scrappy in a sense mm-hmm. uh, because we were, uh, you know, we were in a big industry. Uh, yep. Change was happening uh, continually. And in order to get in front of these editors, we really needed to stand out. So one of the things that we did is we, we 
created a strategy around workplace disruption. And uh, that worked really well for us because when you think about it, go to my PC is a product that allows you to work from anywhere. And uh, we realized that with disruptions, uh, it would be an invaluable uh, tool to have. You'd still be able to get your work done without necessarily going to your office. So we identified different types of workplace disruption. Frankly, the first disruption was 9-11. Mm. And uh, that happened uh, in the fall, in September, following the spring launch mm -hmm. that year. And uh, I flew to New York um, shortly after that happened, within a couple of weeks, uh, and hired a, a film crew to take um, tell, take footage of some customers uh, who were using GoToMyPC to be able to work remotely, and um, and and that so and we had it packaged into what was called a video news release, mm -hmm. and it was a ninety second news piece that was then sent out to news stations across the country, um, in the smaller markets, not so much the major markets. Mm -hmm. uh, they were looking for content. And uh, so that proved to be quite effective. Um, it was a subtle mention of go to my PC. Mm -hmm. You know, it had to be yep. subtle to be credible. Um, so following that, we, we continued down that road. Um, here in Santa Barbara, there was some highway disruption mm -hmm. uh, that prevented, you know, people from getting to work for a while. Mm -hmm. There were storms. Right. You know, any number of disruptions, we were able to use a similar model and... Uh, and that really worked well. Weatherbug was one of our best partners for a period. Weatherbug, nobody's even uh, heard of anymore, but yes. it was a little Java applet that would alert you of weather, yes. you know, weather incidents, yes. sort of like floods coming in or whatever. And we had a great partnership with them because when people, would, a snowstorm was coming, it would be like, hey, do you want to still work from home? Click here. And Perfect. so we just, ch -ch 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 -ch. Yes. so it's finding those little veins of gold. Yes, yes. It's easy in retrospect. Yes. So you mentioned about print still being relevant. I'd love to, I have mm -hmm. just two more questions and then I'm going to sure. open it up for the, for the students. Uh, with the rise of social media and, 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 the, and the, not the demise of print, but mm. the, the less, of, less emphasis on print. How do you, when you have conversations with your clients, how does that conversation go? And where do you see print still playing an important role? Sure. Well, print, um, print is so broad. Uh, I would say certain print you know, is still very important. Uh, and uh, you, you actually, was a, there was a Pew uh, research that just came out recently, and it, it confirmed that more and more people are getting their news from television in this case. Mm -hmm. But s through social media channels, is, is rising as well. Mm -hmm. um, but that was the case 10 years ago in right. terms of people getting news from television. That's just right. the way it's been for a while. Um, but um, TV news and certainly the morning shows and the talk shows typically get their content from publications like the Wall Street Journal mm -hmm. and uh, the New York Times. Mm. So if you're so reading you're those feeding. newspapers, then, oh, what, what a coincidence. The next day on, on the Today Show, mm. you're going to see somebody talking about what was written about in the New York Times right. or the Wall Street Journal. Right. Right. Uh, because those publications have the resources to be able to, to produce those stories in a credible manner. With fake news being a huge concern yes. and issue today, yep. um, those uh, media on the level of a New York Times and the Wall Street Journal are more and more important because those journalists, um, you know, they don't produce fake news. Right. And if they do, you know, they're fired and the reputation of those publications suffer. Yes. Yes. So uh, in a sense, those publications in, in, at that tier 
remain very important. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly with social media, um, there's a convergence now. Um, PR departments, uh, corporate communications departments, and marketing departments need to work together and uh, message carefully. Um, well, first of all, create the important messages and then determine how those messages um, should be shared through the different types of media. Mm -hmm. How you message to Facebook is going to be different uh, to how you message to Twitter and how you message maybe in a, in a press release. Right, right. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, as you know, I've been writing for Forbes for a long time, almost 10 yeah. years. Um, and I started out as a contributor and they've kind of advanced me a little bit along. Um, but what I've seen with their model is interesting. They, they're taking more and more content from fewer and fewer contributors. Mm -hmm. So sort of what you're saying, mm -hmm. not just opening up their platform to everyone, um, and, but also augmenting yeah. that with journalists. What other trends do you see in the landscape over the next 10 years or so between print, social media, and how sure. those two interplay? Well, I, convergence is really happening in a big way right. now. And by, by that I mean um, marketing departments and corporate communications departments are converging. And that is largely because of the advent of social media and in particular analytics. Mm. Yes, we've talked about that in okay. here. Marketing analytics have analytics changed everything. Are, they're changing the game. Yep. They're, they're you know, forcing uh, PR and marketing departments to be responsible. Mm -hmm. there, there has to be a return on investment. Exactly. Uh, otherwise, there's no patience to, you know, continue down that road. Yep. Um, so that is changing the game. And um, as a result, you're finding in, in many companies, uh, those departments are converging. Um, you still have the specialties, but for example, it might be under a marketing head. Yeah, right. Whereas or CRO. years ago, it, that's right, it might have been where my department, for example, would have been right to the C CEO. Right. And, know, and, so. and in a way, there was almost an editorial wall that they wanted, right? Oh, where yes. between John, the Completely. salesperson, you know, his messaging is not going to be the corporate communications message. That's but I right. do think that, that because of the analytic tools, it's starting to be brought under one, yeah. one and, umbrella. You know, and there's something else that's on the horizon that I think is very exciting, and it's uh, it's really augmented reality, mm -hmm. uh, or is sometimes known as v-commerce. And what it is, it's it's the convergence of virtual reality, and social media, mm -hmm. and e-commerce. Uh, you know, converging to create uh, a way for consumers to have experiences with products before they buy them. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, from what I, I have read, Amazon and, and Walmart are behind this in a big way. Um, you know, they've, uh, they're developing these systems that will allow their customers uh, to experience makeup products, mm. eyeglasses, or whatever. The fit of More a product. in a virtual uh, right. manner than they could do before. So right. that's pretty exciting. And I think we're going to hear a lot more about that. Uh, yep. in the next few years. Seeing how that product looks on you. So yeah. one, one example, I'm going to give a free, don't get mad at me, UCTV, but a free advertisement to yeah. a wine, um, I think it's called 19 Crimes or something, where they've taken um, just a basic wine bottle, and mm -hmm. it has a, and, and when you understand their demographic, they're selling to it, it makes sense. Yeah. They have a convict on their wine bottle, and it's this really scary-looking person, uh -huh. and it's an Australian wine, so they're talking about our history of being settled by convicts. But when you hold your phone up to it, <clears throat> it comes to life and oh this boy. individual yeah. starts talking oh. and it's yes. really eerie 
Um, but it under, underscores kind of who they're trying to go after, the rebel, sure. the rule breaker, the whatever. Sure. So I think it's an interesting way to take a fairly static, you know, plain yes. label that every wine bottle has and turn it into something interesting. Yes. And they got a lot of PR and a lot of play out of that because, you know, it, that's an article. That's a story. Sure. How do you use VR um, on your product? And, of course, there's been 28,000 people imitate it. Yes. But the first one that gets that story out there really gets the, the, the views. That's right. Because, really, at the end of the day, good PR is all about telling stories. Yes. And yes, uh, yes. Thank you know, you. it's storytelling. That's what we talk about it, here it a lot. Really, that's right. It, it's all about the stories, and you know, because that's what people remember. Precisely. Remember and when you have consumers, the consumer experience, the end user experience in them, um, they are more memorable and more relevant right. uh, for uh, for the press. That's wonderful. Yeah. So let's take a, a few students' questions. <laughs> we have our microphone over here. Who would like to kick off questions? We have a question in the back. Please wait for the mic. Hi. So first of all, thank you for coming to speak with us. Your insights have been really interesting. I don't have a background in publication really at all. So it's nice to hear a different perspective in the classroom. I was wondering, a lot of us are entrepreneurially focused and considering some sort of startup-based path. And because there are so many different advertising channels available right now, how would you recommend the smaller scale companies or startups getting some notoriety and some positive press. Sure. Um, I, I think, you know, for a small startup company that may be short on resources too, um, yeah, they have to make some tough decisions about how they're going to spend their money and their resources to get market awareness. Uh, typically, uh, early stage companies uh, would spend more money on public relations uh, as a way to quickly and inexpensively build awareness and reputation for a product. Now, it's ideal to do both together. Right. But if a company has to choose uh, between two, um, often going down the earned media route uh, of you know working with press and social media would be the way to start. Uh, because it's not as expensive. Advertising can be very expensive. But I'm not to say that that's not important, because it's very important. And then at the point where there are more resources, then certainly um, the advertising, the marketing, the, the lead generation, all of that needs to come into play, uh, if not right away. And I would, um, let's get the next question, we'll get the mic to you. What I would add to that is make sure that you're, you're helping the, the, the uh author of this content by telling that story because they don't know the story as well as oh, you do. So yes. deliver the story to them. Not that you write the article for them, but deliver, mm. understand what everyone's trying to get these people's attention. Mm. Why should they write about us? What's unique? How are we different? And say that in a story. Uh, next question. Hi, thanks so much for coming. Um, where do you see the future of public relations going with the advent of new technologies like augmented reality and virtual reality? And how might these technologies affect and transform this industry? Well, yeah, a good question. I think, you know, in terms of, you know, where is the industry going? Um, 
the internet still, you know, it has, well, internet changed everything um, in public relations. Right. And it's still a major force. Uh, so- social media, uh, you know, made possible through the internet. Um, these are things that are continuing to change the PR landscape. Uh, I mentioned convergence, um, analytics. Uh, that's changing the game, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of how we communicate our messaging uh, and the channels that we use. Uh, and the transparency, right? In the oh, old tra- days, yes. there was a playbook, and you went on Good Morning yes. America, and you apologized, and you did all these things. Now it's the, that, yes. that playbook's getting shredded. Yes, that, that's right. Uh, so on the one hand, it's a very exciting time because uh, things are changing so quickly. Right. Uh, but it's also it's, it's difficult to be able to react, react when time. they're changing so quickly. But you know what? When there's challenges, there's opportunities. And so a, yes. young, a young person yes. entering this world today, I think, has an advantage yes. because they oh. haven't. Tremendous. They haven't necessarily been exposed to that playbook over and over and over again, and they can help write the new playbook. So that's what you guys should do. E- e- yes, that's right. And I would add one more thing to the idea of convergence and how, how media is changing. There are other, um, other types of companies getting into the game now and creating content. In, for example, even publications now, uh, newspapers, they're also creating content in a different way. Uh, there are um, companies that were not traditional public relations or uh, companies that are getting into the game mm-hmm. uh, and creating content. Uh, so, in a sense, there are more competitors. Mm-hmm. Uh, the that, lines are blurring. That the PR industry has to deal with. Yeah. The lines are blurring. Inside companies. McKinsey. Any... I mean, companies yeah, like that, right, right. you know, are, are also, they're, they're getting into the game of content And analysts, you could argue that analysts oh, are too. Analysts, big time. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. You see more analysts creating uh, stories right. uh, in, in publications and, and in online portals. Yep, and that's just going to keep happening. That's right. Laura, thank you so much for coming. We really appreciate it. You're very welcome. I'm delighted to be here. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.